0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: It's the holiday season, and there is no better gift than Sock Club. It is the perfect gift experience. It's quality American made socks that are sent straight to your loved one's door, and it features different designs and a personal note every month. This is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. I've received some of these socks, I've never been a sock dude. And I am totally bowled over by how awesome this gift is. You can get it for your dad, get it for your brother, get it for your sister, your mother, whoever it is that you're like, yo, I don't know what to get them. This gift is rad. So please go to sockclub.com and get 15% off using the discount code WORDS, W O R D S, at checkout. Give Sock Club this holiday season. It's a no brainer. Now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you are joining us for the very first time, which I have a feeling that many of you are because this is a quite a popular guest that is on the show. So uh, what we do here is we talk to people who are involved in independent music, whether it's like playing in a band, running a record label, working behind the scenes, or have been profoundly influenced by the DIY, punk, hardcore, indie rock scene, whatever you like to call it. So that's what we do here. So if you are a first-time listener, I encourage you to dive back in the archives and listen to, you know, any of the 200-some-odd episodes that exist out there. So thank you for joining us. And if you have been along for this ride for uh, a long time, Thanks. Thanks for coming back week to week because, um, yeah, I love you for that. I mean, I love the new people as well, but you know what I'm saying. Anyways, the guest this week is Mr. Andy Hurley, the drummer for Fallout Boy, the drummer for Sect, uh, basically a guy that has been involved in independent music for a very, 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 very long time and, uh, yeah, is uh, a full-time musician, is in a very, arguably, one of the biggest rock Bands that are around currently, um, just yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird when I talk in those terms because uh, while we're obviously all in this weird independent music world together, when someone kind of breaks through that scene and uh, you know plays to people who like music but you know aren't steeped in it, like maybe you or I are. It's uh it's weird to talk about things in terms of the biggest rock band just because that was never uh, the intention for a lot of these things when they start. So, but anyways, but Andy, uh, I've known for a long time, has always been um, just the coolest guy and basically the, the same person that uh, I've known for years and years and years, regardless of how successful he is from the sort of band. Music perspective. Um, he's basically just the uh, the nerdy, vegan, straight edge, hardcore kid <laughs> that I have known, and uh, he continues to be that same person no matter what is swirling around him. So we actually talk a lot about that. But um, I must must tell you about this incredible service that uh, I discovered. I got keyed into because the founder of it reached out to me. Um, we started conversing over email. And so here, I just, I got to tell you about it because, uh, I just, I, I, believe wholeheartedly in what this dude is doing. So, uh, visit tableturned.com. that's table as in like a tabletop dash turned.com. It basically, if you like vinyl records and you like independent music, this is an absolute no brainer. So what it does it's it's a subscription service. You get a record a month for an entire year. It's basically $14 a month. And you will get a record based off of a certain genre of music that you like. So, say you are into uh, emo, and we're not talking about like the, uh, you know, Fall Out Boy emo. <laughs> I just do that as a joke, but we're not talking about the, uh, you know, the emo at the sort of early 2000s onset. But this is, uh, you know, your quote unquote traditional definition of emo that my good friend Tom Mullen of Wash Up Emo would agree with. So, if you're a fan of that genre of music, you can get a record delivered to you. From for an entire year, and uh, it is basically it's like your your best friend sending you a record that like hey check this out you probably will like it, and it's really really fun. He sent me a couple of records of what he is going to be sending out to you find people, and uh, let me tell you it's uh, it's the real deal. So basically it's you know from labels like Top Shelf Records, Tiny Engines, Broken World, Bad Timing Records, No Sleep Records, Take This Heart Records. So you know you're not signing up for one thing and then getting some horrible record from some horrible band. <laughs> you're going to be getting high-quality stuff that uh, will basically dictate your tastes moving forward in a positive way, not in like a, you must like this, but you get it. So if you love vinyl... Please, please visit table-turned.com and uh, check it out because they have some really, really cool things going on over there. So, do it. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really tired. I'm in Houston, Texas right now. I'm in a hotel room, and this it just goes to show how uh, pseudo-professional this thing is. Well, actually, no, I've never really made it professional. I don't know, but. I'm just a, I'm running ragged. Uh, my life is really stressful right now, but um, I I feel such a compulsion to keep talking to you people and keep. When I say you people, I mean the audience at large, um, because it uh, you know it gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. It gives me the idea that. I am building something. I'm putting something of value out in the world. Whether or not you like it or hate it, you know, that's that's your ultimate choice. But um the people that continue to listen to this show and email me, um you know, that's I'm doing it for you that 's essentially uh, i 'm selfishly doing it for myself <laughs> from a uh, ego perspective where it 's you know building me up and i 'm getting to meet new people and have these awesome conversations but uh, in short, I just want to thank you for um, showing the amount of support you have for me recently and the show in particular because um, yeah it ke- ke- keeps me distracted from a lot of the uh, other stuff that i 'm dealing with currently so Here is my discussion with Andy Hurley, and I will talk to you uh, after the episode is all wrapped up. So here's Andy. You've been one of those people that's always kind of, you know, floated around in my life, whether that was like, uh, you know, obviously the times you would come to Southern California and play like, you know, Coos Cafe and Chain with, you know, Kill the Slave Master, Race Trader, that sort of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it was, this was so random, but it was like uh, when Fall Out Boy was touring, I mean, you guys were obviously just, you know, doing all ages shows in a van. Like we, my old band, Taken, randomly ran into you guys at some gas station um, and it was like, you know, New Mexico or some shit like that. But, um, oh, wow. yeah, I know. It was, I, I, honestly, I think you were asleep in the van. <laughs> I think, yeah, I probably. Think, I think we all hung hard in the gas station for about 10 minutes. You know, usually one of those usual, uh, hey, you guys are on tour too. Cool. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, um, it, and then obviously, you know, we, we were together at PETA too. But it was, you know, it's one of those things where I, I'm sure it's comforting for you to, uh, you know, have obviously kind of the, the circle of friends that you do from people that you've known, obviously prior to, um, you know, most people being introduced to you in regards to fallout boy. Um, is that, that's obviously a pretty important part of, of your life. Just having those people, those longstanding friendships.
0: Yeah, totally. I think that's one of the more important parts of my life.
1: And was that something that you always kind of, um, I guess knew in the back of your head, uh, that, that was something you always wanted to hang on to.
0: Yeah, I think I I haven't really consciously thought about hanging on to it, but I guess that is, yeah, it's like it kind of defines me.
1: Sure. uh, And was that something you always kind of had? My uh, friendships. Yeah. Was that something you always had where it was like, you know, even in whatever elementary school where you had those uh, stronger friendships or was that something that obviously developed? once the music scene started to be more part of your life?
0: Definitely with the music scene. I think my dad died when I was five, and I have five half-brothers and four half-sisters who kind of all left because we shared a dad but not a mom, and their mom had died a while before, so they kind of resented my mom, and I think that was always the thing that kind of, you know, subconsciously hurt me, as a kid, not really understanding why they all left me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not that it was personal, but as a kid, I don't understand that. So I think, like, friendships like the ones I've made in hardcore and punk rock, were this where it's, you know, like, you don't have to be blood to be family, have always been this really important thing to me because of that. And I had friends... You know, in grade school or middle school, some that I kind of kept. I haven't been in touch with as of late, but it was really when I found like punk rock and hardcore that I made the lifetime friendships that I have, which have led to everything I do, like Fall Out Boy, all the bands I've ever done. So
1: yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from in regards to when you you know, as far as like the half brothers and sisters and stuff like that, when you feel like you have a connection as a kid and then obviously they get, you know, removed from the equation, whether, like you said, whether it was obviously, you know, personal or not personal, it doesn't matter. It's just like, Hey, that person isn't there anymore. And I, I, w- I would like them to be. Yeah, totally. Um, you, cause you, so you ostensibly are an only child with your, uh, the, your family structure, right? Yeah. With my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, you're obviously your father father passed away. Like, I presume you had no sort of real comprehension of what that meant besides the fact that he obviously wasn't there anymore at that time.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he, he was a doctor, so I don't think he was around much anyway, so I didn't really know him in those five years. Right. So I don't think it really – I didn't understand what was happening, but I also didn't really – it didn't affect me a lot because I didn't know him too much anyway.
1: Right. It, it was probably one of those things too, where like it probably, effect, obviously it affected you more the way that people reacted to you when you told them that, as opposed to the actual loss. Uh-huh. Um, and so then yeah. what, what sort of, me, what sort of medicine did he practice?
0: Um, I can't remember. Yeah. I think he was a heart doctor or something. Got it. I, I never remember this.
1: Oh, no, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's one of those things, like, even if your parents obviously live a long time and you're able to kind of know what they do professionally, you still are just like, I don't know, he does like stuff. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. You're like, I've been I know-
0: in relationships for five years, you know, where like my partner at the time would be in college and I would still not know what for. Right. I'd be like, uh, I think it's like, Sociology or some, and it would be psychology <laughs> right. I just I forget things like that
1: well I, I pro- I don't know. well, probably just because it's not like you know it's important, obviously, but at the same time, like the details behind it aren't like incredibly important, where it's like mm-hmm. oh I don't need to know like all of this because it's important to them, and I love them, but
0: <laughs> yeah, totally,
1: um. And so you uh, obviously, you know, you've it's been well documented in regards to your love for uh, Wisconsin and obviously the connections that you have there. Um, Is it, uh, you know, beyond the fact that obviously it's your home and that's what you knew the most, like what sort of, I guess, things anchored you there for obviously as long as it uh, did rather than, you know, because obviously some kids, once they get the ability to kind of spread their wings, so to speak, want to uh, experience other places. But you, you obviously didn't do that.
0: Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just felt like as Fall Boy got bigger and bigger and we were gone longer and longer, I mean, I think that kind of informed the decision more than anything because we were gone most of, like, 90% of the time. So when I could be home, in the midst of that, I, I didn't have the desire to move somewhere that I'm not from where when I'm off, it, it won't feel like home, you know? Because being gone that long, being home is kind of this, the time that you recharge, lest you lose your mind, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, I think that's part of it. And I'd, I'd always been struck by Alan Moore talking about Northampton, where he's from. Like it's, you know, like like g- geographical locations have personality and character and inform the events that happen there and his connection to Northampton and how it's like a character in his life that's and a connection that's really important. That always struck me, that that's how I felt about Milwaukee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's a song by Elbow, I think. And it's called Station's Approach, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of about the lyrics are about them touring a lot and I think he must have had a a kid or something, because I think he's referring to the kid. But he, he has a line like that he knows the buildings he walks by when he's home. And just the familiarity to it is the thing that I needed at the time. And I think it's what grounded me, you know, like maintaining the friendships right. that I've had my whole life and staying in the place that I grew up where no one cares who I am, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I, I think that's that's pretty... Um... I guess observable from the fact of uh, the way that you've been able to kind of you know navigate the idea of obviously being "quote unquote" famous, whatever that may mean to the mainstream world, versus obviously what it means to you know us being influenced by an independent music scene. Um, but I do I, I I like that notion of what you're talking about as far as like the place that you're from being a character in your life because you know people that move around to a bunch of different places you know they don't they just view those places as um you know destination points as opposed to this like you know larger than life looming character that yeah that adds to who they are totally yeah um and so when you're uh did your was your mom basically primarily taking taking care of you or did she have a a job that she was doing as well um my
0: mom was an rn
1: Registered nurse. Sure. I presume that's probably where she uh, ran into your father. Yep. It is. Nice. Um... And so what's, um, you know, what, what kind of, I guess, kid did you find yourself being like, uh, obviously as you, uh, grew up and started to develop a little bit of, uh, you know, an identity in junior high and high school, um, did you, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make some armchair projections on you, but you've always seemed to me like obviously a, uh, you know, a social person, but not to the point of where you're like, Hey, I want to be the center of attention. And, you know, I'm like the, the class clown sort of stuff. Um, you know, is that accurate or, or do you feel like you, uh, land somewhere else in that spectrum?
0: Wait. Say it again.
1: No, it's okay. <laughs> I was just asking what sort of person you were, uh, like in you know junior high, um, or high school.
0: I think I don't know. That, that's hard to answer because I was really shy and quiet, but I was also really social with you know certain people that I knew.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess high school's the best litmus test. I was just really. And that's when I was getting into punk rock and politics and and stuff like that. And that's when I became like really outspoken and I'd argue with teachers and I'd skip school a lot. I, I don't know
1: that's interesting. I, I was
0: always like driven by b- beliefs and and things, i think
1: right
0: and And I'd wear that on my sleeve and I'd be really outspoken and in your face to people about it but at the same time I was also like really shy
1: right Somehow. no that's interesting I mean I, I definitely think that's <laughs> emblematic of uh, uh, you know some people's experiences where they you know I mean obviously when every kid starts to dive into a subculture there's no way that you can't wear it like everywhere you know like you can't you know did you let me ask you this did you like X up to high school and stuff like that because I feel like that's a, a oh hell yeah of course <laughs> And did you do, did you do both hands? Yep. Yeah. Let's see here. I'll, I'll I'm no Carl Buechner. <laughs> I'll show you my messed up kid's logic where I think it was a, uh, yeah. Like, Cause I, I started claiming edge when I was a sophomore. Um, and I started to, I basically, I looked at shows as, you know, obviously a sacred space. So I would X up obviously both hands there, but at school I wanted to be casual straight edge. So I only xed up one hand. <laughs> Damn, that's that's
0: a tight move. I, I put a lot. I of thought appreciate in. that. Yeah,
1: I put a lot of thought into it.
0: That's awesome. But um, I, I wouldn't every day, but I did a lot, and especially at like you know picture day or whatever, right? And like shows for uh, high school band, I would do it.
1: Okay. Were Were you in the high school band? Yep. Nice. I presume you did drums. Yeah. Um, and so I I found it interesting that obviously, like you said, you, you know, you were shy in certain situations, but then when it came to, you know, I guess, pushing against conventions that your teachers presented to you, um, was it, was that something that was kind of, I guess, fostered or supported in any way, shape or form by your family or anybody that's surrounding you? Or was that kind of your own thing?
0: Uh, I think my mom was always really supportive of all the things I was into and did. I've heard of other kids having a really hard time going vegan or something and that being this insane thing for their parents to kind of wrap their head around. And she had always just embraced whatever weird thing I was into at the moment.
1: Interesting. And so even if she obviously didn't, quote unquote, understand it, she still saw that you were passionate about it and wanted to support that? Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing um and so I, I but i I presume that obviously there were other people that you were surrounded by um that kind of you know gave you a sideways glance and were like what is this weird stuff that andy's getting into
0: yeah i, I think that that happened but for the most part the school i was at was really cool and supportive and the teachers were great i remember skipping out once and a teacher like, saw me in the halls and was like, hey, are you coming to class today? Like, it would be cool to have you there. It didn't, like, I don't know. It was just such a cool way to approach it that I went to class. And, like, they just, it seemed like a lot of the teachers there connected with us, which I think informed me. I had one history teacher who, I can't remember his name, but would just argue with me all the time about all the things you know, I would go on about and he would, you know, be on the other side of it. And then at the end of the school year he just said, Hey, I don't disagree with the things you're saying. I just wanted to hear you, you know, argue your case. So I would I was just playing devil's advocate. And I thought that was really cool.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's really incredible that he had the foresight to recognize the fact that, you know, you you were obviously passionate about it, but then to be able to push against it to foster it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's cool. And
0: the, the band teacher was that way. He was like a total jerk, and no one liked him. And then at the end of the four years, he was just like, hey, the reason I pushed you so hard and got on you so much is because I knew how talented you were, and I was just seeing you kind of throw it away and not do anything with it. And I it was frustrating. And I thought that was really cool.
1: Absolutely. Um and so where uh, you know where did kind of because obviously you didn't have the luxury of having um, you know an older brother older sister kind of you know giving you Howard Zinn or um, you know Earth Crisis Records and stuff like that how, how did that yeah. how did independent music and kind of the independent train of thought that you have uh, kind of start getting introduced to you
0: um how did I find out <laughs> I guess I mean I grew up Listening to like thrash metal was my first love, and I got Ride the Lightning on vinyl when I was a kid. And I went record shopping with my youngest of the older sisters, or all our older sibling, mm-hmm. um, Maggie. And this must have been in like '85 or '86. I guess '85 because it was when Ride the Lightning came out around then. Because, but it was not vinyl. And I got that and Van Halen, and I mean, that was it for me. And then I think as I would get into anything, so I liked New Kids because it was on the radio, and I liked, you know, like, R&B, dance music stuff that was on the radio at the time, and I got into hip-hop somehow. I think it was mainly on my own with with metal, and then following that to like death metal was because of like magazines like Metal Maniacs. But then getting into punk, I think, is when I was in early sophomore year, maybe, and I met this kid Leroy that I started doing a band with, who was into death metal, but he was also into like punk and hardcore. Mm -hmm. And so he's the one that was like, "Hey, check out." you know Gorilla Biscuits and Youth Today and this stuff and then you know when Victory was getting big was like check this out right and Earth Crisis was the band that clinched it where it was like holy shit this is like this is hardcore but this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard
1: right I, lo- I love I those because I mean obviously everybody kind of has that um, you know person to bounce ideas off of and start to collaborate with I just always love it how uh, you know I'm sure I presume that obviously you showed him records that he obviously hadn't heard of before and you know that sort of uh, synergy starts to happen and it's so exciting when you trip across it
0: oh totally that's awesome
1: <laughs> and then there was I mean
0: there's also I think punk and hardcore spoke to me so much because you know when Rage came out you know they were obviously a big band on MTV or the radio or whatever and so I got into them and then when Evil Empire came out you know I was already kind of into the message and that's the record that had the picture of all the books so I like tracked down every book in that picture and that's kind of what clinched being into you know political issues or whatever
1: yeah it, it, yeah I mean I really identify with that because Rage was the same band for me where it was like the first time I recognized the fact that it was like oh like not everything is okay <laughs> like there's a, oh, diff- totally. there's a different point of view that people have because mm-hmm. they're not you know white suburb kids or whatever
0: <laughs> yeah so then I got into like punk and Epitaph stuff and Bad Religion and Rancid and then Propaganda and then that was you know another band that changed my life especially with uh let talk more rock and and then obviously earth crisis was i think the the bow to to tie tie it all together right right Where it was like this band talking about all of those things and then also talking about you know being drug free and being vegan and, and in such a cool, sonically cool, like heavy way, and such a militant way, like as a kid, that that was just it. I was like, you know, I needed the militancy to make it, you know, this war right. that I felt was God.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, you, you feel. You feel like you're led into this this secret idea of the way that the world is working and then you're just like, Oh yeah, like I need to I need more of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm ecstatic to tell you about this sponsor and that is Berkeley College of Music. So most of you are probably aware of this amazing school that's located in Boston. Basically it's the creme de la creme of anybody who is looking to get into the music business, whether it's from a performing standpoint or whether it's the music business side of things. So they are offering online schooling. So, for touring musicians, completing a program at a traditional brick and mortar campus can be next to impossible. So, what Berkeley Online Education offers is musicians the freedom to study from the road. So, whether you're a musician, a producer, a songwriter, or an industry professional, Berkeley Online has the program that is right for you. They offer courses and programs for all skill levels, from beginner to advanced. Courses and certificate programs are open in enrollment, so there's no admission or application process. The classrooms are highly interactive, and the classes are capped at 20 students, so you'll always be able to speak directly with your instructor and get personalized feedback on all assignments, and its fully accredited online bachelor program is unbelievable. Some of the majors that they offer are music production, music business, guitar, songwriting, and more and the cost you're like what is this this is probably going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars it is 64% less than the tuition at the Boston campus so trust me Berkeley college is incredible and the fact they're offering this up now online is unbelievable if i had didn't already have my degree i would be signing up for this immediately so you need to go to online.berkeley.edu slash words and you can learn more about the program, become familiar with what they're offering, and ultimately get in contact with them because there is no better time than the present to get smarter and get ahead in this crazy music industry. So please go to online.berkeley.edu slash words because I really believe in what they're offering and I think you need to check this out. So thank you very much, Berkeley, and now on with my discussion with Andy. And so, like, you know, as you started to obviously go through high school and, like you said, start to play in bands, like, I guess, what, what would be the first sort of, you know, band that you obviously started to, like, play, sh- I guess, shows with for whatever that may mean, whether it was, like, a high school talent show or whatever? What was the first uh, project that you did?
0: Oh, man. Uh, my first band was called Global Scam.
1: Oh, dude, Yeah. We're, we're, let me. I'll, I, the, the only reason I laugh is because I, I, my first band was called Doom Society. So I think, I
0: think we could have played awesome. the same show together. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. That's hilarious.
1: And I, I presume it was some like some sort of a, a punk hybrid.
0: Yeah, it was like a punk metal hybrid. I, I can't even right? fathom what it must have sounded like at this point. I know we recorded with this dude. But I don't know where that recording would be.
1: Oh man, yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff that you wish you could revisit, just to be like, what were we going for?
0: What? Yeah, what, totally. What,
1: what, what band were we trying to emulate? And so, uh, and I mean, why why did you gravitate towards drums more than obviously the other options that were out there? Because you know, usually drum Dr- I mean drummers are obviously difficult to find especially in the context of like a music scene you know usually I mean obviously you're a prime example where it's like every hardcore band in you know probably the continental United States asks you to play for them at one point especially if they're vegan or straight edge um, yeah totally <laughs> so like wh- why did you gravitate towards drums
0: uh, drums are always the thing that I heard first from, from the beginning, like, I remember mowing the lawn, listening to Slayer or Anthrax or Megadeth or Metallica. I'm, like, my Walkman while I'm mowing the lawn. Or, like, whatever I was doing. And drums were was the thing where I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, especially uh, Dave Lombardo. Um, and I just knew that that was the thing for me, I guess.
1: Right, right. And was, so, there, yeah. And like, did you, did you ever even like pick up guitar or do anything else like that?
0: No, I mean, not until after I was already playing drums. Cause I'd, I'd always like put together pots and pans. I remember one time I took a C clamp and clamped like a piece of wood to a bookcase and then had like a bucket and would use the wood block as a hi-hat and then the bucket as the snare and i would like play the songs and stuff so i, I knew from the get go that that's what i wanted to do and it wasn't until after that that i would attempt to learn guitar something that still to this day i don't know more than 3 chords and like power chords and it just never clicked the same
1: way to me. Got it. Got it. No, that's, I mean, it's cool when you do, because obviously a lot of kids like pick up, you know, guitar and like they get frustrated because they don't feel like it, you know, it's either too hard or it doesn't speak to them or whatever. So it's like, you do feel like you get a, uh, a key that unlocks something when you eat, you know, you sit behind the drums and you're like, Oh, this is it. Like, yep. this is totally. what I want. <laughs> um, and the, uh, you know, so obviously as you started to kind of, you know, play out and uh, experience shows and stuff like that, um, you know, were you immediately taken, uh, by the idea of obviously playing in bands and that was like what you solely focused on or was that something that you kind of just like, it, it led up to, led up to you being more interested as obviously the bands got more serious?
0: Um, I think doing bands is the thing I always wanted to do you know, following from that those times of Mongolian or whatever, I, I always dreamed of doing that. Um, in whatever way I didn't care, but I just wanted to do that more than I wanted to do anything else. And so I guess sophomore year is when I started doing bands and from then, you know, I haven't stopped since. And I think, you know, being in, in high school band or whatever was just, you know, playing drums where I could until I could, like, find a real band to, like, hopefully tour with and stuff, which is when, you know, I joined Race Trader, like, at the end of, I guess, the middle of high school, because I was 16. And then Kill a Slade Master. And we do tours whenever we could.
1: Right. And the... And- and so then, I mean, there there was no real, um, I guess, learning curve for you getting used to tour. You basically were just like, "Oh, this is this is unbelievable," and I can't believe we get to do this.
0: Yeah, totally. It was like the ultimate adventure because there would only be like twice a year, maybe, that we go out for a week or two weeks or something. Um, and it it's it was just the ultimate adventure and and so much fun and. You know, never, I don't know. I never was, there was never any learning curve because it was the one thing I always wanted to do. And when it ended, it was like the worst. Because, you know, it was always the the most fun. Just like being on tour with friends. Like, there was a Kill Slay Master tour with Since My Man where we randomly met up with seven angels in California and we didn't know that that was going to happen. And there's just so many awesome moments like that, like unexpected moments or not that I was there cause I was asleep apparently, but like <laughs> where you guys met up with us or we met up at the gas station, like things like that happened randomly all the time. And it was just, you know, th- this awesome escape from everyday life, I guess.
1: Yeah, because you, you do feel like, obviously, a member of a secret society when you're, like, living in this, you know, <laughs> this weird traveling circus of, you know, you and your, your best friends, and then the rest of the world kind of, you know, revolves revolves as it normally does, and then you're just in this weird suspended state. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, but so you never had any other, I guess, aspirations in regards to, like, um, you know, pursuing schooling or going to college or anything like that it was basically like oh I want to kind of figure this band thing out whatever that may mean
0: um, I mean I did I, I had a double major in history and anthropology and like had you know really uh, low level I guess goals or dreams of, of being a teacher but that was kind of always just like you know, I'll do this, and I was doing two or three bands at a time, at all times, and I guess the the main point was I would never stop pursuing that. Like, not that I was pursuing it to be in a band like Fall Out Boy that became as big as Fall Out Boy was, but you know. I knew that that was the more important thing in my life.
1: Right. You wanted to be creative with drums, whatever that may may mean, rather than... Yeah,
0: whatever that may lead to.
1: Right, right, right. Well, yeah, especially, too, because, you know, the notion... I mean, even in the, obviously, late 90s, like, there was no roadmap for bands that were playing aggressive music being successful you know like you you could point to bands like i mean obviously you could look at the early 90s and be like oh sick of it all and stuff like that but then you know then you could be like oh yeah i think there's a yeah hate breed and um poison the well and then the rest of it kind of kind of fell into the well you know there's no like yeah i guess you make a little money off tour but it's not like you could make a living off that yeah true (laughs) um And so then obviously as you started to, uh, you know, kind of how, well, actually how many years of college did you actually complete or were you just kind of like going, um, at, you know, in between tours and stuff like that?
0: Uh, I think it was two years and it was, I was doing at that time, I was doing that band, the kill pill Mm -hmm. with money from race trader and Kevin, who is in since my man and stuff. Um, What else? Uh, I can't remember now.
1: Yeah, well,
0: I mean, it's my what, my sick brain is just not working great.
1: No, it's fine. But, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't blame you because obviously you always were involved in multiple projects that all kind of, you know, with similar people that all kind of bled into one another. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it's like, and,
0: and what style they were? Oh, Project Rocket, which is the band that did the split with Fall Boys, So before I was in that. And then it wasn't until I was asked to fill in for a tour for Fall Out Boy where it became like, alright, we could do this band, because they wanted me to record like on a demo they were doing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't officially going to be in it, but then when I recorded the demo, it was kind of like, alright, do you want to do the band? Right, right. So before that, I was just still doing, you know, weekend warrior shows and couple bands in recording when we could
1: Mm -hmm. Edward, what sort of what sort of jobs were you working at at the time
0: um i worked at marcus theaters this movie theater chain nice in the wisconsin area Mm. in Menominee falls where i grew up i worked there for a while i worked at ups with jesse smith if if you know who that is
1: yes yes (laughs) of course
0: (laughs) that's um I, I didn't drive, which he does. I just sorted or whatever. Right. And then, where else did I work? I worked a weird factory job that was like 12-hour days, and it just killed me. Um, UPS was great because it was pretty short. It was like five, six-hour shift, depending on when you got done mm-hmm. sorting.
1: No, it's cool. I think
0: that's it. And then I worked at temp. Jobs before I that's the last job I worked before I started touring,
1: right? Right, um and then you know, I the, something I obviously find very interesting <laughs> in regards to you know, you and obviously your personality and like how you've been able to kind of navigate the idea of being thrust up into a, a world that you know, obviously is ostensibly disposable as far as like <laughs> you know, the idea of fame and uh, you know, where Fallout Boy sits within the context of that. Um, I'm sure there were so many learning curves that you had to kind of, uh, go through in order to understand that, okay, like this could go away at any time. Like people really don't give a shit about me or the band. Like, you know, we could be done in a year or whatever. Um, you know, what, how did you, uh, you know, I guess, how did you, I'm sure there's specific moments that you kind of remember of like, okay, like I made a mistake with this or, I learned a lot from this certain instance. Um, you know, walk me through some of those because I just find it so interesting the fact that you've been able to, you know, basically remain, remain the same person and not, uh, <laughs> not obviously get yeah. swallowed up by everything.
0: Uh, do you mean instances of almost being swallowed up?
1: Sure, kind or, of a thing. Yeah, or just like, or just like specific kind of. You know, oh, it doesn't have to be specific, but just kind of learning experiences where you're just like, oh yeah, like I know that. You know, this person just wants to know me because I'm the drummer of Fallout Boy as opposed to, you know, an actual human being with thoughts and feelings and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I was always cognizant of the fact that it could disappear at any time. And, and, like, even from the first time we signed a Feel by Ramen, I knew that doesn't, you know, it's a bigger indie label, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. And then the deal with Island happened. And I knew that, you know, from seeing what happened to other bands that we kind like we knew people from that you could record a record and they could shelf it and then your career's over because you'll never get that record back. Um so like as cool as it was to sign to a major label, like it doesn't mean anything. And then when all the craziness Happen after putting from under the cork tree out, and as well as it was doing, and being on warp tour the year that it like blew up, and it was on TRL or whatever. I knew like that could change at any moment, and it doesn't really matter. I remember every time being on a bus, being like super stoked and taking it all in because it could be the last time I'm on a, a tour bus and not in a van, you know. And so I think I kind of always approached it like the floor could fall out at any moment, so just be happy with all the things that are happening. And I've never felt expectant of of things or anything, you know?
1: Right. I, I, d- I do think that it um, it's very, honestly, it's kind of reflective of, your personality, just because you know, some people, um, you know, obviously aren't equipped to handle. I mean, you obviously there's a litany of people that you can view from, you know, the, m- larger statures than, um, you know, your band has achieved, and then even lower statures of what your band has achieved, and, you know, they can't handle that sort of attention. Um, you know how I, I guess from the sort of like it, more so from the attention perspective um, you know how did you navigate those people that were obviously just like wanting something from you uh, Oh yeah. like how, how, did, um, how, how did you weed that out you know or did you just kind of ignore it for the most part
0: I just ignored it and I, I was never the one I think that anyone would come to I remember doing tours with bands and at the time I think most of us were still straight edge and they'd try to get us to do stuff and I think it's real obvious that I was the one who was never going to. So I I feel like I kind of created a space for myself where people kind of just leave me alone. And I'm not the one that people would go after if they wanted something. That would mainly be Pete. Right. Which is great. Like, I don't want, I'm not the type of person who knows how to deal with that. But I mean, I've had that happen. I just kind of ignore it or. I've always known when to spot it. I've seen other people in bands who who take it too seriously or who lord it over other people when they don't really have that much to show for it anyway or you know known the dude in the band who not in our band but in in a band i've I've known who like you know bought a Lamborghini first thing when he got money and then things stopped happening and had to sell it, obviously losing almost all the money that it costs to buy one. Right. So, I mean, I I, I took notice of all those things and the first thing I ever did when I got any money was pay off all my debts so I didn't ever have to worry about that again and things like that and and, and people coming. I, I haven't had people like friends or things in that way coming for handouts or coming to me asking for things. I guess there's weird like family outliers where they've kind of mentioned stuff and I just, you know, straight up say, you know, that's not happening. Right. <laughs> but it just hasn't happened a lot. Sure, sure. I haven't experienced it the way like, you know, it's portrayed.
1: Right. Right. To happen to people. Sure. Well, I I think you really hit the nail on the head in regards to you building your own space, you know, like, not only, I'm sure, from a sort of, like, uh, people could tell where it's just like, okay, Andy is completely content, you know, hanging out the bus, reading his book or whatever. You know, doing something that obviously is is solitary and away from, um, you know, whatever the, the party structure that many bands like to exist in. Um, but then also the fact that, you know, you do have these, you know, counterculture beliefs that obviously a lot of people you know, wouldn't find any commonalities. in. so like you've been able to exist in the world that, uh, that a lot of people are just like, Oh yeah, that's, that's Andy and that's him and that's his thing. Um, and so that's, that's where he sits as opposed to, you know, you obviously trying to like, you know, fit in to conform whatever other people's opinions of you are. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. That's all. And I think that's kind of created a space where it just kind of attracts other people, who are in that same boat who feel that same way yeah more than it's attracted people to come ask for things or put on the front to me expecting something
1: right right no it's important too because then you're able to uh it's like, it's kind of like a uh, you know you, you you have a a pre screener that goes out there where it's just like all right if you really want to talk to me like there must be a real reason because like yeah totally you 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 don't just do this randomly being like oh dude so you want to go uh, you want to go to a steakhouse and party uh, no yeah neither of those things <laughs> yeah um and so then uh you know obviously as you uh, you know experience all these you know ridiculously. Uh, crazy things in regards to the experiences that fallout boy has been thrust into, whether it's like, you know, you know, going to the white house and, you know, playing, uh, I think the funniest for me was obviously watching you, you know, play the, was it the NBA all star game? I can't remember, but it was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where, um, you know, what are some of the, uh, I guess like maybe, you know, reflecting back like to, you know, earlier when obviously the band was still, um, you know, the momentum was, was kind of like, Oh wow. Like this is a real thing. What are sort of things that you, I guess, you know, replay in your head as far as like, wow, this is like, you know, a really cool thing I never thought I would be able to experience. Uh, It doesn't need to be super specific, but just kind of those feelings that it evokes of like, wow, like this, this is really, you know, impacting people.
0: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of those in my life, and it still happens where I, I, in in different ways, where I can't really fully comprehend how my life's gotten here I mean like you said playing one of the inaugural balls and meeting the president and then we played another thing at the white house or near the white house and met the president again that's pretty weird and surreal um Meeting like Jay Z was crazy. <laughs> For me, the crazy things are like we played some or we're at some award show thing, and I can't remember his name, but he was on Firefly. Mm-hmm. The so, is it Nathan Nathan Fillion? Nathan Fillion. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Meeting him, like like nerdy stuff, is the thing that I'm always the most stoked about, and kind of like, holy cow, like. I I remember one war show where all of the Avengers were there and I was waiting for like my car pickup in a line with all of the Avengers and uh, Vin Diesel and The Rock. That's amazing. And telling The Rock or and meeting Vin Diesel and telling him I love the Fast and Furious movies. And he was like, should we do another one? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, dude. I love those movies. He's like, see, everyone? We got to do more. And stuff like that. I, I don't feel like I'm in the same world as as any of these people. So it's really weird to me still.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's... And that's just one aspect of it. Totally. Well, I think, I mean, t- honestly, that, the, that story that you just told me is indicative of, I think, of what um, is fun. Because obviously you're you like i said you're still the same person that you were you know whatever 15 20 years ago as you know a young kid obviously getting into punk and hardcore so it's like all you're going to care about is like the nerdiest shit that people are going to be like oh really like why is that that important to you you're like no you don't understand this is a huge deal
0: yeah totally (laughs) Um,
1: but i mean then there's
0: also the you know times i've been in airports or weird places and and kids come up and and say really cool things and, and it doesn't, you know, and that's, that doesn't make sense or I can't wrap my head around that in the same way where it's like, I remember feeling this way about, you know, whatever band. I remember being at a quicksand show and seeing Sergio, you know, walking to the bus outside and just being like, oh man. And like saying, Hey, what's up, Sergio? You're awesome. And, and, you know, feeling that same way about these bands that I grew up loving. That's still weird to think about and wrap my head around.
1: Right. No, definitely. Because it's, you know, these are, these are people that you obviously look up to, you know, so much just because of the art that they create rather than like the stature that they've achieved, you know? So it's meaningless whether or not, you know, a person is mainstream famous. It's like, no, you're famous in my world because you've influenced me profoundly
0: yeah yeah absolutely and I, and I think that's almost more important to me especially the kids who say they've become vegan or straight edge or something because of me or got into crossfit or tried like started into fitness because of something i've said
1: mm-hmm. why well, i think that's what's so um i guess important over the fact that um you know not only obviously the you know the band be the of the fact that you have an audience and people pay attention to you and I think it's you know it's great because obviously there are many instances in which you see uh, the band needs to be kind of uniformly the same person you know like with there, there's no <laughs> there's no personal opinions that can inject anything it's like all right this, this is what it is but it's like the because you guys have known each other for so long that there's no reason that anybody's opinions need to be muzzled down you know so therefore you're able to be who you are out there and influence kids that, you know, might not have ever touched a subculture just because of, you know, who you are as a person. Yeah, totally. And, and ultimately that's not something that obviously every band of your stature experiences, you know, it's like, no, you got to, especially, especially the drummer. It's like, all right, you go be in the corner, do your thing. No one will talk to you. Um, and that's kind of it.
0: (laughs) I think that's another reason just you saying that that's another reason, I wanted to be a drummer too because I think it was kind of my own my own space in the background and I don't you know, it's not the same kind of ego-driven thing that it seems like, you know, the characters of singers or guitarists are
1: Listen, it's the holiday season you're probably freaking out right now but just take a deep breath I am here to solve some of your problems There's an amazing company called Soothe and what they do is they help you find time to relax by letting you schedule a massage that comes straight to your door. Whether you're at work, at home, traveling, soothe delivers a massage to your door in as little as an hour. So when it's time for your massage, a licensed therapist will arrive with all of the essentials for a quality spa experience, including a table, fresh linens, music, oils, and lotions. And book your massage in less than 10 seconds on the mobile app, which you can find on the Apple App Store or on the Google Play Store, Or you can go to the website, www.soothe.com, and that's S-O-O-T-H-E. I did this. The service is unbelievable. You're able to schedule an appointment way in advance. You're able to schedule it, like, in an hour. You can also decide the sort of service that you want in regards to, I want a deep tissue massage, or I want a Swedish massage, or I would like a male to come. I would like a female to come. It's amazing. And I just, I I loved it. And they left and everything was spectacular. The rest of the day was awesome. So this week, my listeners can get $30 towards their first massage with Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E, when entering the words at checkout. So please, W-O-R-D-S, and give you $30 towards this. So like I said, you can find it in the App Store or the Google Play Store, or go to www.soothe.com and schedule your appointment today. So seriously, $30, a massage off. I'm not giving you a $30 massage, $30 off. I want to be clear with you because I want you to get this offer and relax. Soothe is a massage that's delivered straight to you. So here, let's wrap up the conversation with Andy. I don't walk into these interviews with a, uh, you know, just a blank slate and I don't have any questions prepared, but, you know, so of course, like, you know, looking at people's Wikipedia pages always brings me large, uh, senses of enjoyment just because usually there's always like three or four things in there that I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. Um, but they're, they're one that I have to bring up to you because, uh, you know, I found, cause it literally was just a sentence in there, um, is that, uh, he was suicidal when fallout boy was on hiatus. And like, that's literally, there's just one set yeah. kind of in the middle of nowhere, just like, wait, what? Um, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I of course did a deep dive to be like, where's this person pulling this from? And it's just like, oh, it's some, you know, pull quote probably from an interview that a person did for you, you know, over two hours and they just pulled that one quote.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: <laughs> yeah I found it weird too um you know, but I presume there was obviously um some navigation from personal feelings in regards to you know obviously once fallout boy started to um you know you you guys went on the hiatus and um you know obviously you were active and you had many other uh, varying interests, but you know did you feel a little uh adrift at certain points within the context of that
0: oh totally uh I mean when we went on hiatus like <clears throat> The, the conversations kind of started when we were on tour in Australia and I think it was obvious that everyone else was at their tipping point and I think it was reaching a point where it was either we were going to break up because certain people just weren't seeing eye to eye anymore and like artistically think like people were in such different places and and business wise like what some people wanted for the band and how much you know work to do and, and and press and and all these things everyone was just in different places and and relationships started to kind of deteriorate because of it um and so we had a talk in australia about just taking a break for an indeterminate period of time, and eventually we'll come back. But it definitely felt like it could be a breakup thing. And either way, so we went on hiatus, and 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 people started drifting, and and obviously needed that space to figure a lot of things out. Because especially for Patrick and Joe, they were right out of high school when the band started like blowing up and and touring you know, nonstop, you know, 300 days, days a year. Pete and I were a little older and, and it didn't really start until like 25, so I think we had time to kind of be adult humans in the world right. for a minute. Right. So, you know, understandably so that everyone needed time to kind of parse what's happened in our lives. Um, but... Going from a situation where you have your whole life mapped out, like I knew what I was doing, you know, a year from now, and, and I'm I'm in that position now. It's like we're on a break now between records and in the writing process. But I know, like you know, the 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 broad strokes of you know we're aiming to have a single at this time and an album at this time and start the record cycle and touring up again at this time. And that's, that's both like really suffocating in ways where like I can't you know I talk to friends about going on trips you know around the world or like going on a vacation somewhere and I can't do that because I either know where I'm going to be all the time and it's pretty constant or I know that chances are something will come up and I won't be able to do it. And I can ask for time off but oftentimes something huge will come up and it's like, I can't not do that. You know? Right. <clears throat> so I think going from that constantly to nothing, and I, and like you said, I was still doing bands. I did the, I filled in for Earth Crisis, which was a, an amazing and surreal moment. But going, but that wasn't like a long-term thing. I just went from knowing my whole life for years at a time to you know, essentially feeling like I had nothing in in the future. And I think it's obviously vastly different, and I'm not, you know, saying it's the same thing, but I feel like it's similar to being institutionalized by war or something, like going off and then coming back, and you don't really know how to reacquaint yourself with, you know, civilian life. It's similar in that, like, I'm never home, and and I guess it's similar in a lot of ways because I have someone making all my decisions for me in terms of where I'll be and where I'm staying, and you know, all the all of those things. And then I come home, and it's all on me to f- figure out what to do.
1: Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because that definitely is a very. Um, I've honestly never viewed it from that perspective of the. Um, you know, of the idea, like you know, usually, obviously, when people remove an artistic project in their life, it's usually the identity that you know. You're like, oh, well, like I'm Andy from Follow Up Boy. Like, you know, who am I? Um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of that at play. But then the notion, like you said, of where it's like you have the next you know 18 months planned for you to pull that away, and then all of a sudden just be like, oh, like I, like you said, there's there's no way that a person can't feel. You know, adrift or kind of like you know aimless because you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> if I, yeah, I haven't, had, I haven't had to think about it at all.
0: Totally, it, it institutionalizes you in a way. If that's the right word, I think it is.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, because you are, yeah, you're part of this, <coughs> you're part of the structure, and to have the structure removed from you is jarring. And there's no way, yeah, that, there's no way that anybody can't you know react to it in in a way that you know is probably. You know, a mixture of depression, anxiety, um, you know, any of those feelings that that probably anybody would feel, like you said, either you know, removing yourself from war, or obviously something more, you know, "quote unquote" trivial, you know, playing in a band. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, so, how, you know, how, how, I guess, how did you, uh, you know, I guess, cope with that? You know, did you, like, was it one of those things, like, you know, were you trying to, um, you know, just devote more time to obviously the, you know, CrossFit and the other things that you're interested in um, and kind of filling that hole? Or was there other uh, methods that you used to try to, um, you know, bring yourself out of, of that driftlessness? Yeah.
0: Um. Well, first off, I was also like, in the midst of a breakup at the time, and so I think I put more of the focus in the depression being the breakup when it was actually the other thing—the band and um, uh, what else happened at that time. Uh, that's when Ryan Morgan like moved away and you know started having kids after living with us for a while, and, and Stu left to get married. And there were a lot of things like that that came at the same time that the band went on break. So it was like all these things that defined me and that provided structure and that, that I was safe in like, were gone. So it was like starting over in my friendships and, in a weird way and bands. So I think that's kind of what I identified it as as it was the breakup when it wasn't. And, you know, in an interview, I did say that I was super depressed and didn't really know how to deal with it and was that was one of the harder breakups I've ever had in my life, but I think the real reason was because I carried that out of that place in my life. So it was kind of you know, symbolic of, of these bigger changes. And I think I just, that is when I got into fitness, like full blast. And I went to Jim Jones in Salt Lake city and started training there. And then, which led to, you know, getting really into CrossFit. But that, that's when it started. That's when I had time to like pursue that. Um, and then I did, as many bands as I could That's when I was doing The Damn Things Which was awesome In it's own Like awesome Experience and adventure I filled in For Pearl uh, Scotty and his wife's Band
1: Oh, that's right! I forgot. Which was
0: awesome. Right. I did right. a tour with Meatloaf, which was so cool.
1: <laughs> that's, that's amazing.
0: And he would like hug me every night. It's great. It, it, he,
1: I mean, that's funny that you say that because he strikes me as like obviously like the most in tune with his feelings, dude. Of just like, oh yeah, I can like I'll, I'll hug you, and I'm not even gonna like question you know the handshake into a hug. It's like I'm just gonna hug you immediately.
0: Yeah, totally. That's so good. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, and, and I think that was it. I just kind of transitioned by staying busy and, and putting my focus and energies and passions into other things, and then it kind of just it worked itself out. Like eventually, the other dudes in the band started talking, and there started being a conversation of, "Hey, we're writing stuff," you know, and it would just happen organically in a really good way.
1: I, I really like how you. Um you, you put that because basically you know i mean even though obviously like we were talking about it's, it's jarring it's weird when you get removed from you know a, a, a scenario that you were in um in certain respects it's it's obviously freeing because you know like you were obviously mentioning the fact that you know your life is planned 18 months in advance it, it does give you the ability where it's just like oh wait like i can travel like i can i can go somewhere and not have to like worry about anything beyond you know like playing a show. Like I can actually experience more than just like the stadium I'm in, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. Right. It, it was really good. Cause I did, you know, some hardcore bands in a van staying at people's houses, staying at weird, like, you know, crust punk palaces where they it's just super dirty and smells like cat piss. And, they're smoking weed like right next to us. Like we're I'm on a couch with the other straight edge dude in this particular band, right. and there's dudes like smoking weed on the next couch over. And it was cool to go back to that and like experience that again. And and I don't I'm fine with that. I don't need to stay in hotels. I don't need to be on a bus.
1: Well, and I think you know not to you know blow smoke up your ass, but I I think it's one of those things where it's like that um you know there are obviously people that come from our scene that, you know, go on to different, uh, you know, walks of life, whether it's like, you know, playing, you know, playing in a band that doesn't sound anything like, you know, what uh, a band should in, in our, in our scenes opinion, as far as like, Oh, you know, they, they went to a pop band and like they're fucking sellouts or whatever, you know, like all those cliche like <laughs> saying, yeah. but like, you know, very well, I mean, realistically I've, uh, you know, I've heard no people uh, throwing stones at you because you know, like, there, you know ostensibly someone could look at your trajectory and just be like oh you know andy went on to the you know playing his band fallout boy it's like total dog shit and like you know they're not you know they're not uh you know they have no connection to you know our scene and they totally sold you know sold out they're just you know cheesy pop stars um but like no one could really look at you because and obviously throw those dispersions because yeah you you have been you know the same person not only personality wise but then like you said just the fact it's like Oh yeah, I can play. You know, a, a, a total you know DIY squat show in Portland and be fine with it. And like I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not demanding writers and all this other stuff that I'm used to. Yeah. So good. basically, Andy, that was me just saying, good job. You. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. I had to give you a compliment in there. Um, the, uh, the 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 two two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. One of them is a and forgive me if this seems like a total um, you know off the wall. Uh, question, but this was something that, uh, you know, through the hardcore game of telephone, I'm not putting you on the spot here, but this was something I would like to confirm or deny, because to me, it sounds like you, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just someone saying something and it wasn't true. So, I'm, having, I'm going straight to the source. So, uh, obviously, Burning Fight happened in Chicago in whatever, 2008, yep. 2009. Um, there, you know, this, again, I'm this is pure potential rumor, but that's why I'm taking it to you. Uh, that there was a there was a chance that the show was going to get pulled or canceled in regards to some sort of insurance snafu or something along those lines, because obviously the people putting on the show, um, you know, Brian Peterson and I know Jim Grimes had some something to do with it. Basically, yeah. th- there was a, uh, a, a void left in regards to like, oh my gosh, we need a expensive policy or whatever. You know, we don't have the, the capital to raise. Uh, and supposedly, you, uh, you know, helped out in regards to basically fronting the money in order to make sure that the fest kind of went on, uh, you know, uninhibited. Uh, is that true at all? I mean, I'm not looking for you to, like you said, like, oh, I'm fucking cool and I saved this thing. But like, I, I just... I find it kind of emblematic of you as a person. Um, So whether or not it's true, you can tell me, or I can obviously (laughs) just move right on.
0: Yeah, I did. I helped. That's amazing. I helped out. I mean, Peterson, I've known for so... Well, both Peterson and Grimes have known for so long because of Race Trader. Right. And it was just... I mean, it's amazing that Peterson did that book and like all of that was just so important especially to me because that is a part an era that i was a part of and that was obviously extremely important in shaping me as a person so of course i had to help out
1: right you you felt like it was uh uh, well not an inevitability because obviously no one saw it coming but it was just like oh yeah immediately like i'm sure you didn't even hesitate when they asked for your help Yeah, not at all. Yeah. It just sucked uh, that I couldn't be there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like I said, it was just one of those things where I heard, and I I think it, like I said, it kind of speaks to not only you as a person, but your sort of sensibility where it was just like, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I would, you know, I, I have the financial capabilities of being able to, you know, front the cost, and everybody will, you know, will go on with the weekend uninhibited so um yeah but thank you because i was there and it was a really good show so (laughs) awesome yeah of course (laughs) um and then you know kind of where where uh you're at you know now obviously in the fact that you know fall boy obviously like you said is just you know chilling out and uh well not chilling out but obviously preparing to you know start a whole new cycle again and stuff like that um you know where where do you find uh yourself obviously in the, the spectrum of like Obviously, now you are part of the structure again, um, but you obviously are still pursuing all of these other, you know, interests. Whether it's playing in sect or uh, obviously the, um, you know, the, the CrossFit stuff that you do, um, you know, where uh, where do you kind of find yourself being pulled, um, you know, in, in in new directions, in new bands that you want to do, or uh, you know, other sort of creative pursuits that you would like to, uh, you know, explore.
0: Um, I think right now. I mean, the songwriting primarily for Fall Out Boy is Patrick and Pete and Joe, which is great because I've been doing, you know, shows with Sect, um, whenever we can, which is hard because we're all in different bands and there's parents and, you know, people with adult jobs and stuff, um, and then obviously I did the race trader show last weekend or the weekend before, and we were actually recorded six songs and are recording four more because I thought it would be cool to do an actual full length album for the first time since we've been a band.
1: Right. <laughs> right. That's pretty impressive. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we're doing that. Um, and then we're gonna, you know, try to do, um, shows whenever we can as well. And, as it happens, it'll probably end up being shows with sect just because, you know, you're both already, bands that... You're already there. <laughs> I'm already there. Both bands I kind of have to work around schedules since arguably the guys in Race Trader have more, even more adult life jobs. Right. Um, so, yeah, for music... Oh, and then I recorded... Uh, five songs for an EP with The Damn Things. I don't think we'll be playing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anthrax is still touring on their last record. Etid just put out their new record. Uh, who else? Josh Newton, I think, has been playing lately.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He he texts for Joe for a while. I'm not sure if he'll be back when we're back. But So, you know, that's all over the place. But yeah, still doing... Bands, especially Sect and Race Trader, whatever possible, right? And probably recording, maybe another EP, maybe another full length, depending on what Jimmy and Scott write for Sect. I think that's as of now. For I think both Race Trader and Sect are super important in my life. Right. Race Trader because it's just really interesting that a band I did twenty years ago kind of existed then to exist now like they're just so you know I'll give it to Money and Dan they were just so ahead of their time politically where we're in a space now where I think people finally actually understand what the point was
1: it's it's so funny you say that because I, I think it, I'm not well yeah I'll put both of these bands obviously in the same sort of category where it's like a band like is Crucifixion and a band like Race Trader, I even though you guys obviously are different. Uh, well, I wouldn't even say so far different politically mindedness, but like you know, Creation's crucifixion in regards to uh, you know technology and the way it plays into our lives, and then obviously Race Trader in regards to um, you know the way politics and uh, you know obviously race and the way we interact with one another. Uh, both of the both of your bands existed at a time where you know people were just like, "Whoa, holy shit!" Like, calm down. Um, yeah, but, but then. Yeah, like you said, fast forward, you know, fifteen, 15 years later, and it's more, uh, you know, prescient now. Where it's like, oh, like you know, they were yelling about something that was incredibly important then, and you know, is even more Hello? relevant now. Oh, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, oh, okay, no, it's okay. I was just, I, I just find it. I, I, I'm glad that you obviously recognize the, you know, the um, relevant nature uh, to, you know, what it was that you were doing.
0: Yeah, totally. Well I was talking to my friend JT. Uh, singer of Climate Slash Focus Nines, who lives with me, and he was talking about when the Sect guys were here because we had shows. He was super stoked, and then I was like, "What about the Race Trader dudes?" Because we recorded here. He's like, "Oh, that was cool. I think Sect is more relevant to me because it's like a new thing they're doing, and I feel like I don't feel like Race Trader is rehashing on anything because it just feels." like we finally hit the moment where it's right. And I think the reason we hadn't done, we'd been talking about doing reunions at different times. I didn't want to for different reasons. It just didn't feel legitimate or like for the right reasons. And it's because like now people finally understand, you know, white privilege and and the realities of systemic racism over like, You know, back then in the '90s, like racism just being words. You know, that's that's all stuff that sucks. But obviously, systemic racism that you know is in a system that's built on white power is is the problem. And and now that's obviously on the forefront of everyone's mind. And that's why Trump is, you know, doing polling well with you know white people who are afraid of the inevitability of the flip from being the majority and all these different things. So it just feels really right and, and important.
1: No, that's incredible. And then I have to ask, cause obviously now you live in Portland and you've obviously taken most of your friends with you. Um, you're, uh, you're feeling pretty good about that move, I presume. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, Portland, obviously I seems, love it here. Yeah, I was about to say Portland uh, seems very up your alley. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think, it, I think it came at the right time where it was coming on the end of the last record cycle. And, you know, I always thought I'd live and die in Milwaukee. But I think with the last record, we were recording every week. And I, so I was flying to LA every week. And it was like a six hour flight there and a six hour flight back for like one day or two days. And it just was killing me. So I wanted to be on the West Coast. And once I let that thought in, it started to take over. Like, I think. Portland is the right place for me now and I'm glad that I stayed in Milwaukee so long but I also do now see the value in like choosing a place you know so I still feel about Milwaukee all the things I said but then there is the reality of like choosing the things you like in a place that you live right And Portland's like the perfect
1: place. No, totally. It's so funny because like just saying that out loud is just like, like that's obviously an an adult thought. But like, you know, when you, when you let it in, you're just like, oh yeah, like I can totally move to a place that has like, you know, an incredible vegan community and like awesome culture and shows and like everything I love. Like, why would I not allow myself to go there?
0: totally yeah. i agree
1: no that's incredible well andy honestly thank you so much for hanging out i really do appreciate you uh obviously shedding light on things that uh you know maybe don't get brought up on a day-to-day basis but uh yeah it's been really fun for me
0: yeah thank you thank you for doing it yeah nothing. sorry i'm sick i'm kind of out of it so
1: no dude you did hey
0: i hope it you did great for went you. well
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it there was our discussion with andy and um yeah i just uh, i loved it i especially like to be able to put him on the spot for that question about uh, him helping uh that burning fight hardcore show that happened in 2008 i just was so curious because um yeah i was there and i just remember the the rumblings happening about that and uh i was just glad the whole show was able to go off because um it's probably one of the best weekends of my life just because that show is so incredible so many good bands but anyways thank you very much Andy Hurley for coming on the show, and thank you to a friend of the show and previous guest, Matt Mixon, for hooking this up. They're roommates together, so I find that quite adorable. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, Matt was able to uh, fast-track that, because uh, I've wanted Andy on the show for quite some time. Had him on my list, but just kept kind of sliding down the list, and I said, no, we need to solve this problem right now. So, the music, as always, is provided by Lowercase Noises. Please check him out on Bandcamp, on Facebook, wherever it is you listen to stuff. You can find him there. He creates beautiful beautiful music that you need to pay attention to and uh yeah email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com and um let's see should i t- yeah of course i always I always joke like should i tell you next week of course i'm going to tell you next week's guess because um yeah that's what i do on these outros now and for those of you that listen this far you should be rewarded so uh james mckean And I think that's his name. I wish I had my notes in front of me. But yes, James McKean is the vocalist for the band Departures, a band that I have become obsessed with over the past couple years and love their recorded output. And I was very excited to have this conversation with him because um, I just love to expose music to people that might not have heard of stuff. So there you go. (laughs) Anyways, that's happening next week. And uh, please be safe, everybody, as we come into the holiday season where we're coming in hot and heavy. Hopefully you're doing your shopping and um, not freaking out. So like I said, until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.